I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is fascinating if you work with data, which is all of us, about metadata with data. This idea of having information that travels with the raw data that provides context, provenance, security, authorship, controls, indexing, really the number of ways that you can expand the use of data and its control by adding metadata is really important. And ultimately, it creates a sea change in how we look at managed data. Instead of creating control systems that contain the data, to actually package the control infrastructure, what I would call the data control plane in the podcast, as part of the data so that all of the systems can participate in it. And we talked about data mesh a lot in that context. Really a fascinating conversation and one I know you will enjoy and that we're gonna keep coming back to. Does anybody have something they wanna put on the, the discussion calendar? I do. Go ahead. Um, metadata. Ooh, all right. And the use of met- metadata. I see Rich is nodding his head. He's, he's good with that. Okay, uh, I'll 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 uh, definitely pack pack uh, the heavy artillery for that one. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, saying, I'm not opinionated on that at all. No, no, no. I, I, I would I would expect I would expect Tyler to. Uh, come in on that one and you know like a is there a specific wrecking ball right (laughs) i can spell metadata damn it all right (laughs) any any specific narrative like like i'm I'm interested in in where you're thinking for metadata like i could see it in the conversation we had on the 12th but yeah metadata active metadata active metadata um interested in that one okay Okay, because it's known as, you know, I mean, it's kind of part and parcel of everybody's thing about it's always on, it's intelligent, it's action oriented. How can we use this better? And my reason for bringing it up is because we're getting to the point now where, according to Forrester and Gartner to a certain extent and some other folks, only 17% of the data that's being collected is actually being used. And if you saw the tweet yesterday that I put out, which caused a furor with an individual, thank you, Tyler. I appreciate you jumping in there um, (laughs) because it was insane. Um, With the number being so low, I have to ask the question, if cloud costs are in the millions and you're only using 17%, was this the boondoggle of boondoggles or are we just not using the resources adequately or properly, which leads me to this notion of the use of metadata and active metadata as a way to actually um, impose context and in, and in, and in the course of imposing the context, Will that increase the usage of the data that's being collected? Context over content. Mm-hmm. I, 
all right, here's my suggestion. Y'all are engaged and excited about this, but the people in the room, let's keep talking. I want to hear about it. I just threw some topics in the backlog. I pushed the one about data migration further in the future. Um, I threw open source in platform engineering and um, I'll, I'll look on the list and see if I can groom some topics. But I would, if, if y'all are interested in talking about uh, metadata, let's do it. I think I'd love to hear about it. There's actually a huge convergence between metadata and data migration, for example. Yes, indeed. So, can I? I'm. I want to understand what y'all mean by metadata specifically, but I think maybe even the concept active metadata I think would be even more useful. To you know, we carry along the definition well, for metadata. What do you, What do you mean? Probably, you know, you'll. Anytime you you find, you know, four analysts in a room, you'll get six opinions as to, <laughs> you know, what the definition is on this. But sure. um, I think the the premise, first of all, is you know we've always been quite dependent upon metadata. I mean, look at any relational database. You're, you know, of, of old school. There is an amazing amount of data about the origin data, the primary data that has to be maintained in a in in any relational database where you've put it, when it when it arrived, whether you know what its its status, these types of things. Um, right. Okay. What also then happens is over time, a good deal of context gets. Uh, stored along with your primary data. Where did I get it? What are the schema, the schemas that are applied? Possibly, okay. you know, what are the standards that are applied to it? When we start talking about modern data, modern data platforms, modern data stacks in particular, um, the notion of active metadata means that in great measure, you're actually going to the metadata first to make some decisions about what you serve up to a platform for visualization or BI or whatever, you know, whatever the analytic, whatever the stack is that you want to do with it. More and more, you also have to use metadata to look upstream at the terms of use. You have oh. to use the metadata to look at um, and authenticate the sources. You know, is the source what I think it is? Um, you have to use metadata downstream as well, because more and more what you're obligated to do with data as it's used throughout an enterprise, or if you're packaging it up to go out the door to a customer or a partner, you have to, for any number of reasons, package up and use metadata, send that along with the primary data to provide various kinds of the lineage. This is the technical lineage. This is the, the business lineage. This is the context. This is how I've treated it. It's almost like a logistics 
uh, issue where um, I no longer just send a, you know, a big contain shipping container full of some things. I have more and more details on the way bill that lives on the outside of that shipping container. When I hear the term active metadata, it also starts to get into the point of answering the question, what is the decision you make about bringing data to the compute or compute to the data? In a distributed world, one of the things that it, um, oh. in, in order to prevent duplication and a lot of transportation, what you really only need is some of the information associated with the primary data. Often that exists as part of the metadata that's that's referring uh, to oh, your interesting. primary data. Okay. And what you're doing for with data virtualization, forms of data virtualization, is you're sending up a bunch of metadata, packaging it up, and sending it to whatever or whoever needs to use your primary primary information. Well, that in turn allows somebody to sit there and say, fine, I want specifically what these pieces of you know, primary data are that I need. Perhaps I don't need any of it because I've got enough right there with the metadata. So we start getting. Into I mean, it's your. I've I've heard the term data virtualization, but not you're articulating it clearly, which I I appreciate. In in, in some ways, you, you went beyond a card catalog. So the metadata could be oh. is almost like a card catalog in a sense for the data that you're you're. Um, and, and more okay. and more on that card catalog, you're retaining <laughs> or you're you're putting on each card, you're putting a lot of a lot of the you're you're I'm just laughing because we, we we hit it. We we we, we just there's a, there's an age experiential uh yeah. divide we just introduced into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, who the, who, the hell, who the hell's ever seen a card catalog? Right. So uh, you you would call uh database index metadata then. I'm sorry, say again. You would call a database index metadata then? Uh, I think it is a form of metadata. Yeah. It is, I, I and I would agree with that. I would I would also add the one word that I didn't hear Rich say is the routing. You can add the routing in the metadata because it's, it's action-oriented. So yeah. in my little pea brain, if you're only using 17% of, of the zettabytes of data that you're putting up to the cloud or storing on-prem or whatever, if this is a means to get you the cherry pick way of saying, I want this piece of data and that piece of data and a third piece to make a better business decision, then I can reduce the data cost, the, the ETL, the overhead cost of the compute and storage, I can do a lot of uh, sort of cost efficiency mm -hmm. and actually make a better business decision because the way in which I'm making that decision is based on what I need in the context of where, when, and how I need it. And let me take that routing issue one more step. When we start talking about 
the interconnection of data stores, databases, data lakes, and data warehouses. They are being operated at a distance from one another. They're being operated and managed by different organizations, but they establish some means of uh, sharing data, transferring data. They have some, some kinds of different kinds of agreements. The problem with most of the old forms of data sharing or data inter data store interconnection has been they've all been relying on a centralized registry. What we're now seeing is the idea of routing data, routing these packages of the virtualized data, metadata, being routed through these networks or meshes of, of data, data platforms, call them, looking more like a like routing on the basis of BGP than you are kind of the old style kind of hub and spoke. Here's a registry. Here's how you here's how you connect. Here's who can connect for file transfer, for example. So it starts to starts to look like you're routing bundles of metadata between the data store and the application that to which it's being served, whether that application is on the same machine in the same data center or on the other side of the world. And that's another aspect of routing that uh, can only be done on the basis of metadata. Uh, I won't say only, but it's if you're going to do anything very efficient, it really I mean, needs it, to be. It sounds it's. It sounds like what we're talking about here is it's almost the you know data the data exists outside of its use it's it's you know its value it's it's you know the way I'm I'm almost hearing is I can produce data I could tag it with metadata to say this is distributed to these parties and by adding the appropriate metadata I now actually have the data itself has has uh, provenance over its distribution, rather mm -hmm. than relying on um, a system that then either sends the data or um, you know people collect the data from a location. What would your? I mean, is this a change in how people think about data? Used used to be we'd put data, maybe the data lake phenomena, but we used to think about data that goes into something and then people subscribe to it or pull out. What, what your conversation about metadata is doing is it's putting the, the onus on the data creation to provide the context, now we're back to last week's word, that then allows the data to be disseminated um, or yes. extracted. Yeah, that's a totally different way of thinking about data data flows than I mean, y'all y'all are yeah, way ahead on this. Absolutely, I'm used to. And, and five years from now, everybody's going to be talking about it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> so I, I kind of have my doubts about every everybody. Huh. Um, <laughs> I, like I, I'm going to do to put my, my my devil's advocate hat on here. Oh, I'm, good. And, uh, or, or maybe maybe my cynical hat. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a couple of one of those too. Um, so, 
and I'm going to look at this in light of the uh, the bright-eyed future that um, that distributed systems like blockchains promised uh, and what came out of it. Uh, and and I, I think that the biggest takeaway is that yes, there are use cases for distributed data for loosely connected data and, and pardon for the background noise if you, if you can hear that. Um, but the the biggest challenge is data gravity. Like data that like that that belongs together, likes to stick together. So it is very resistant to sharding. Um, and more importantly, many applications uh, that use data need to know that they have the full context of the data and not just part of it. So um, the biggest challenge I think is going to be in uh, providing guarantees that you have no gaps in the data that, you, that you're pulling from distributed systems. Yeah. I would completely agree with you that that's a challenge. I think in, if I look at it from an architecture perspective, just for a moment, in federated, distributed, and even virtualized environments, the savings in time to decision, as well as time to value, far outweigh the risk of the of the data gravity issues because you can always change the metadata to incorporate more. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say it, it it depends on on again it it it's very domain specific. Like uh, when when we're talking when we're talking let's say financial systems. You cannot yeah. have any data gaps. So, like any any saving that that you get in performance or or, or in in accessibility, is just nullified because like it's literally a zero multiplier added at the end on that. On the other hand, if your if the context that you're working in, with is already presumes that the data is lossy, let's say metrics, for example then yes absolutely your the benefits far outweigh the the data gravity like you you want to distribute your metrics so that they're they're accessible fast that they're closer to their source um there that's a no-brainer but i think all of this goes back to the point that that rob was getting to which is earlier on in the whole process of onboarding, making data available, you, you someone has to pay attention to the domain in which it's being, uh, you know, for which it's being developed or or created, stored, and um, this kind of domain-driven idea of all right, I'm I'm. I'm using it. I'm saving it and and planting it someplace. Uh, 
making some early processing as soon as sometimes as soon as I onboard it, there's a there's a kind of a shift left idea here of all right, you're gonna have to, <laughs> you're gonna have to do <laughs> Tyler, you're gonna Tyler have started to do, Yeah. You're gonna have to do more uh to you're gonna have to do more earlier on when you bring data in, when you when you That's kind the... of commit to it. And it's domain driven on on ingress, it's domain filtered or domain managed when you're talking about egress and use. And it to Klaus's point, you know, if you're dealing with financial systems where um loss is simply not tolerable, that has to be part of the part of the information that comes along with that data. One of the things that none of us have talked about here about that enormous amount of data that isn't being used is, I think, very seriously related to the amount of replicas of data. Many of the times, those replicas being slightly out of date, slightly slightly off you know the one step step or one half step behind the most um authentic or the gold master if you want to think about it that way yeah and that that should be a, and that should be a data uh, a metadata element in of itself exactly yeah. so there's a lot of you know people well, the the first the first people that started using data lakes on the idea that, you know, I'm going to throw data in here just because I can <laughs> and somehow magic is going to occur. It's and all going to get mixed to, together. To get it, I'll be able to find it. Basically, how many different forms, formats, you know, everything from Excel spreadsheets to, you know, Parquet and Avro and, you know, just... It, in different representation, not to mention the whole issue of, you know, I've got updates. What about, what do, what do I keep about the past so that I can roll back and, and do um, version control? There is an, an enormous amount of data that gets stored in these places that isn't going to be touched but in some cases needs to be there. In a lot of cases, it's just there because no one had the time or energy to clean it up. I, I mean, in part, I, right, we've always, go ahead, Joanne, go ahead. Sorry, I, I, I completely agree with you, but I think, you know, and, and, and again, this is the intergenerationality, but way back when we used to also deal with the deltas between versions and store the deltas as opposed to to the entire version just because of the fact that storage was at that point expensive and everything was on-prem, call it the pre-cloud era. But within the data lakes, I believe, or what I'm seeing from the manufacturing side is there's certainly corporate records that need to be stored for a long time and, and things that that are historic that have value that must be used. But then 
there's this whole whack of stuff that you do play whack-a-mole with between data silos that can go away. It really doesn't have a purpose. It's not adding value, yet it's, it, it is taking up large percentages of those data lakes. It's not so much the refactoring mm. or it's the same data in, from a different silo. It's the fact that even with the ETLs that were, were being done for data integration, much of it was never completely finished in previous iterations of B2B or previous iterations of even the early days of APIs. You, you couldn't you couldn't get from here to there. So you, you put something in the center of it to make it usable at the time. But that data itself is, I don't want to say meaningless, but it's kind of like dead storage at this point. You may have one simple reason for keeping it, call it, you know, regulatory requires you to keep records for seven years. But beyond that, it has no value. Why are we not looking at creating metadata around that, storing the metadata, and then, you know, it goes somewhere else? Yeah, well, I mean, in in the spirit of what's old is new again, you know, if you take a look at most of the newer kind of modern data stack approaches to data data ingress, almost mm-hmm. everybody is basically saying, you know what, it's got to be changed data capture. What I'm what I am capturing is only what's changed. It's right. event driven, and so we've to your point, Joanne. We are taking a look at the deltas. We're looking at the changes. We're we're capturing them on, you know, at a different level of granularity. And because we're doing this in usually in as part of a stream, we're doing it on a on a on a different time schedule. And it is in fact, you know, change data capture is you know is absolutely dependent on metadata. It's you know, it it is a metadata function. Right. In particular, when you're doing replication and when you're yes. doing garbage collection. So it, it's yeah. also yeah, it's also That's dependent on continuity. You, you yeah, cannot have any gaps if you, if you record the deltas, which is why right. most monitoring systems these days switch to just recording absolute values and then calculate the deltas at the last minute. Right. Yeah. Just to be and assured if- that they don't they don't miss anything. So I I think what we're talking about here is the expansion of the definition of metadata, because what we're really talking about now is is operational attributes related to the management of a particular set of data. So you can look Mm -hmm. at like like you're talking about like deduplication, for example, you could do that at the data or the storage level. You can do that in terms of eliminating redundant copies of databases that sit in different places and and yep. uh, so what I'd like to do is lay on you guys an, a definition that I've been kind of working on while I've been listening to you guys. Um, so basically defining metadata as information that enumerates any attributes related to the consumption or management of a particular set of data or datum. So that- Can you means, repeat that? So 
I'll put it in, in it's it's a really wonky um, propeller head definition. So, <laughs> but it, so basically, information that enumerates any attributes related to the consumption or management of a particular set of data or datum. So that and what what I was what I was what I was putting in chat. I think what you just described to me is the data is a data control plane. Yeah, absolutely. And well, it's because you're you're talking about right turning on, turning off, deleting, right? The data itself can't you can't do that with just the data. You have to have a control mechanism for the data that's flowing in your systems. And it's since it touches multiple providers, you actually it has to carry has to ride with the data. We can't we can't count on the sources and the sinks of the data to be the control system, the control plane anymore. So wait, we're actually Correct. talking about a distributed data control plane. Yeah. In which the <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, we're, right. talk, right. we're talking about well, it we're talking about that, data fabrics. It? We're talking about data That's... fabrics. We're talking about data meshes, but oh. data fabrics is really closest. Closest to the the concept. <laughs> so now I actually, actually understand what what people mean when they say a data mesh. This this is no no no. That data no. mesh is different. Data mesh Care, is different. careful. Okay, careful. And data fat. So I by the way I freaking hate the term data mesh. I absolutely hate <laughs> it because I, it, I, it, it implies a a a system. But the way that they've that what's her face has defined yeah. data mesh, it's it's really about process and operational improvement and and all the, of that. The 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 term has is has now been. It's gotten to the point of it's it's useless. But so, if you so want to I'll, think about it as a fabric, like we used to talk about switching fabrics and and networks and so forth as a control plane for as part of that depended upon a control plane and networks, then I think we may be closer to it. So I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, data gravity, for example. So I was actually, yeah. I was looking at my patent and I have in there the use of metadata and capturing relative latencies between different software components. So say you've got a, an application that has multiple APIs that sit in AWS or on-premise or Azure or wherever, one of the element data metadata elements would be a measurement of the relative latency between that component of the application and any other component and or an application being a database as well, right? Anything that you connect to. So what that what that means though is that you could use that metadata that operational data to uh, optimize the configuration of a distributed multi-cloud application. So so that's a way of essentially encapsulating what so what's the unit of data gravity, right? You know, having taken <laughs> physics and in, in college and high school, it's like, okay, what's can we do chain rule on data gravity? You know, what's the unit? Well, the, the unit is essentially the attributes between two elements of your application that include latency, bandwidth, cost, 
And then we can, so that's in the operational uh, optimization arena. We can also look at it in terms of access to data. So metadata could also include the the digital rights associated with from a copyright perspective, but then also the access rights from a access management perspective for different entities inside and outside your organization. All of these things and, and what we see in the industry is there's tools and groups that are addressing, call it one subdomain of the metadata sphere, where they built tooling around to support that. But it it doesn't really play well together right now. Um, the it's other thing I've, I've mentioned is, is this idea of... Um, you know, consolidated data fabric control plane. Yeah, that's kind of the holy grail that I'm working towards. But at the same time, you still have things around governance and and controls and attributes that are managed on your Salesforce platform, for example. So I I, I don't see I don't see any large organization that's going to have a single plane of glass for control of data across the entire operations. You're still going to have those silos and they'll never go away, but that's where you need kind of a data governance layer on top of your data fabric to be able to define where the sources and controls are or where the controls are associated with each source or or, or each data set. But I would, based on this conversation, I'd go a step further because I would say part of that governance needs to say any data that's flowing between within your organization has to have enough metadata to provide uh, control infrastructure, right? It, it, that's well, like, it, like, go ahead. Yeah, it, it definitely has to, has, to, has to work with the control infrastructure and, you know, access controls that uh, uh, Tyler was just mentioning have to be incorporated. Licensed terms of use, there are parts Parts of that that you know have to be have to be incorporated. Am I allowed to use this for a particular in a particular domain or a particular place? What what I'm seeing on the infrastructure side is comparable, right? They are mm-hmm. organizations are moving to require tags on infrastructure for a cost control perspective, and anything that doesn't have the appropriate tags is just deleted. It's considered a, a security risk. So what you're describing to me here is we're moving into a place where met data in order to move between systems is going to have to have sufficient metadata that you can provide yeah. the appropriate controls and governance. And that's where and, you need the standardization. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, so this yeah. sorry, so this is where I come to that higher level thing uh, that basically I call the tapestry, and the tapestry is the weave of all of these elements in the met- metadata plus the governance, the gravity, and the control. Because when you Rob are tagging the infrastructure, Tyler, Rich, and I may also be tagging the metadata that's used by that infrastructure and associating rights, responsibilities, provenance, all of those wonderful things together with the veracity of that infrastructure. So the active nature of the routing of the active metadata and the use of that active metadata helps you control uh, not only the 
usage and who's doing what, when, where, and how, and how they're making decisions on it, but it also controls the cost and provisioning requirements, right? Because more and more, as as you know, the discussion yesterday on Twitter was un, unraveling. Um, companies are are looking at repatriating from the cloud simply for one reason: cost. But it's not actually cost. If you look at the breakdown of that accounting model that was provided, the services that are being used, they're paying that particular company is paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a month for services that they're not actually using. Oh, ouch. In any in any real way. And that's so, true everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting to that inflection point, which is why I precluded the discussion by saying, is this really a boondoggle or not? But to the point of the data plane, uh, data control plane and the metadata, the notion of the tapestry is to weave in the different elements from each of the domains within an enterprise, right? You could have plug and play kind of threads that would weave into that tapestry. And the picture that's created from a visual analogy point of view is solely based on the on the needs of that organization. But on that the, on, ability, the, on the use, on the use and the use. Correct. On the usage. As a model, that I think supports Tyler's definition. Mm -hmm. We should put something together about this. This is really cool. Yeah. And um, and then does does active sorry, which do you want? Go ahead. I, I was, no, I was go gonna ahead. ask, does, does active metadata then mean that right? I'm I, I have I have metadata with the data. Now I'm actually extending it, adding to it as it as it migrates in my my. Sorry, you had an active metadata. There, my my puppy's in in camera. Um, <laughs> the uh, the you, there there was an active metadata that sounded more like card catalogs, and I could send around data without you know I could send along act metadata without the act with I could send along the metadata without the data. Um, but there's also an element of as I send data forward, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep adding to the metadata here. So Absolutely. I, I'm going to. Well, sure. think, well, about, think about the data. It's a two way lineage. flow. It's a two way yeah. flow. Think it's about all the. Yeah. Think of all the data lineage information. Think of all of the the context, the data provenance. It's like a bill of lading yeah. at that point, which which was your one of your examples before. Bill of lading is, is, you know, and, and by the way, one of the other hot topics that absolutely relies on this kind of active metadata is what people are now discussing uh, in terms of data contracts. Yeah, these, these good data contract, contract probably looks to us oldies more like a... Um, a well-documented API. It's basically- oh, shoot, but but now we're crossing over into smart contracts. To your point, not where necessarily the, we could, but but, but the metadata and the smart contracts can have an interesting inter interaction where you can Absolutely. actually evaluate whether or not you sure. have access to the data based on a smart contract and enforce it dynamically. And you're and it's based on 
couple things. The smart contract, which is here are the terms of use, and it turns out the context that I find myself in is in a jurisdiction where I'm not allowed to see or I'm certain certain kinds of data, or I'm not allowed to re-identify you know, uh, information about a certain person because of, you know, regulatory, uh, regulatory constraints. So these things these keep from being bigger. Like this is like the danger of the, the an enormous uh, TCP it's, packet header. <laughs> it's bigger. It's going to turn out to be bigger than the origin data, the primary data itself. Okay. Got it. <laughs> so what that well, says not, is if you if you're going to do that, it doesn't have to be though. It doesn't well, have to be. It doesn't doesn't have to be, but in a lot of cases, it's going to be. Okay. Until we learn how to how to pare it down, how to batch and batch well, it. Yeah. Well, that's and, that's where what but, I've I've learned about the the um, over the last year and a half, two years with with this process, actually implementing it, is that there is a strong intersection here between zero trust. Because when you think about metadata and actual data consumption, that if you're able to tie the view of that metadata and or data according to identity, now you can say, okay, well, this third-party processor gets a certain filtered view of the metadata. This mm -hmm. other user gets a different filtered view of the metadata. Identity is critical. Yeah. The other thing that's critical is some of these shift left processes I was talking about earlier. The earlier you dedupe, in other words, if I see the same record, or from a metadata point of view, the same record multiple times, I don't want to save it that many times. I want to save it once and keep as metadata pointers to or references to all the times I saw it, all the places I saw it, so forth. So some of, yes, Rob, you're right. There's going to be some overhead here. Yeah. We don't yet know how much there is. And in order to offset that for a lot of purposes, cost being one, latency, efficiency generally, you're going to want to do a lot more upfront and you're going to want to spend a lot more time making sure that what you, the primary data you do store and the primary data about which you maintain and grow metadata is well governed. But I, I mean, I, this is, this is hugely beneficial. Sorry, go ahead, Joanne. No, no, no. Finish your thought. Because you could literally be shipping around empty um, metadata for the data that you're saying, and then it, somebody could actually come back and say, yeah, I, I need this. And then they can go back to the a source, verify a trust relationship, inflate the data inside that envelope. And, and so, you know, yeah. Yeah. At, at that exactly. point, at that point, you could you could ship somebody a stream of the metadata, and they could say, "Yeah, I, I don't, I don't care, don't care, don't care, don't care." Oh, and now I care. Go and use the metadata to say, "I need, I actually need the data that should be inside this envelope." And go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely you know, and, right. Wow. 
And, that, that's, and a, to, that, that's how our data fabric works, right? We start out, we don't transmit any data. And then we have a, a, a mask that says, okay, of the incoming schema, which fields do you want to transmit? Right. And that in wow. itself is also metadata that's tied to the policies that we've defined. So I can go back and say, okay, well, this data was accessed at this time. And according to this timestamp, it's tied to these policies. So we can actually recreate the whole data pipeline that existed in the past to define what we're transferring. And this is also <laughs> what we're using. Amazing. This is also what we're using uh, for provenance for our, our basically, our platform that is at its heart a data set version control system with a lot of talents related to metadata, both on inbound policy engine policies associated with it, and then outbound, either serving it up to a, a stack locally or packaging it up in a file or a stream to go out the door. Um, so Rob, did you realize so, that you built a? Did you realize you built a data fabric with RackN? <laughs> I don't think I don't feel like we built a data fabric. Why? It's it's a data domain specific implementation of a data fabric, and yep. the data domain is infrastructure as code combined with infrastructure state. Okay, that I agree with. Yes, that's right. And and so, okay. To, to both points and the third, take it up one level higher to the ability to have data metadata data composability as part of metadata management. And yep. data composability is my North Star in virtual federated, distributed, and virtualized environments because it's the most cost-efficient way to give me the data I need to make the decision I need to make right now to have an outcome that gives my customer exactly what they want in, a, in the most cost-efficient, management-efficient way. Yeah, and, and that's the top of my co Composability in this, in this realm absolutely relies on metadata it, it has but to. it's not code composite composability I, i'm not talking about code composite i'm talking oh, about okay think about derivative works on a yes. data set absolutely. that's what that's what we're talking about we're talking about yeah. composable if you want to think of them as records or or elements of 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 data these are derivative works you know yeah take take uh you know yeah. two distinct marketing data databases data sets mm -hmm. um and i want only some portion of the data for about rich miller from this one and only some portions of it from uh, as the second data set package them up and suddenly i have a derivative work based on two distinct data sets that has to be vetted. Is it legal? Is it has it met all of the, you know, the rules that uh, that are set by the context in which it's operating, and that is what's packaged up and composed 
for the purposes of further analysis or simply bundling it up and sending it to a customer and saying, do with it what you will, but here are the rules. Well, um, okay. So in that regard, let me ask a question. Context changes. Yep. Therefore, the the notion of com- in my in my thinking, the composability verb is based on the context at the time. So in real time, what context do you want that profile of Rich Miller? And that's where you can impose rules. But yeah, the exactly right. plug and play nature of it, for lack of a better word, or the composition or choreography nature of it allows you to do that. The only and here's and here's the question part, other than a completely virtualized environment, do you see that working in highly distributed or federated environments? I I see it working, but I'll tell you there's a there's a caveat in there. That's a pretty serious one. And that is Unless you can rest, feel assured that the same kind of rules and and um, filters and governance mm-hmm. is going to be applied in other parts of the federated um, environment at other 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 locations. Well, right. well with, um, within the within the boundary of your federated oh, environment, yeah, yes, is, yeah, yeah, within <laughs> the boundary of your federated environment, you, you still have you know tons of stuff outside, managed, lots of legacy yes, technical debt. Well, yeah, but within there, the systems have you know a, a, have a hopefully made appropriate agreements and and everybody you know is going to be trusted well yes and no the point here is if something has been used that goes outside of the accords that have been established by this then you know the the context that joanne has has described you probably can't protect it but you could certainly detect it. In yes. other words, if if you've done things correctly with the metadata, you know when someone has you know crossed the line and re-identified someone's <laughs> data uh, in contravention of some um, compliance audit yeah. or. Um, I'm I'm chuckling, yeah. Rich, because even the metadata in that definition is potentially valuable information for somebody who's interested Absolutely. in the data. Just, so, yeah. just like signal, it, it's a form of signal intelligence. I don't know what the package yeah. is, but I know yes. who's talking to whom and where I know it's these, going. I know these two parties are are very in, are very invested in this this uh, data. Of um, yeah, you you absolutely have to apply the same governance right. rules for metadata as you apply to data, <laughs> right? So that you, now we have metadata about metadata, right? But, yeah. you know, what are it's you turtles do, right? all the way down. Turtles. Oh, all the way down. Yeah. Um, I'm and and we're we're over time, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> My head's just exploding on 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 the the recursive. 
piece. This was this was stunning. It it changes how I understand last week's conversation about context in a whole different. I wish we'd done this one first because it's. Um, <laughs> I now I now understand what I didn't. What I what kept me from understanding last week. Thank you. Well, this was great. I'm glad. I, I did. I did go through and add add future topics into the backlog. So we'll we'll do that. It's including. I'd like, to, I'd like to continue this. That I think a possible project for this group would be to build a metadata ontology along the lines of what we're talking about. All right. Uh, I think that would be a good idea too. Uh, I, I think that would be a lot of fun, and it's yep. a lot of work. So I'd love to collaborate on that. Uh, one one thing I wanted to add is uh, taking notes while you guys were talking was, first of all, for me, the definition of active metadata is metadata is that's time series. So so it it's at a certain point of time. Here's what the rules are associated with it. Here's what the operational attributes are for the data set, et cetera. Right. But then that ah. gets into the thing that you were talking about, Rich, where you were talking about, you know, is this current or is it not current? So then we need to add to the med metadata ontology something around consistency. So like with database consistency, where you have atomic or eventual consistency, you, mm -hmm. would, you would be able to attach that as date as as metadata so that would be an attribute related to the consumption and management of that data set absolutely so i have a question why time series versus event driven uh to me they're the same thing i mean I, i'll get in trouble saying that in this group but <laughs> what, what i mean by that is an event driven system by its nature generates time stamps time stamp. for, for events okay. that occur hallelujah okay to me it's to me it's more the the flag you know uh, the event is the trigger the timestamp becomes part of the metadata maybe i'm looking at it the wrong know. way from that perspective well, let's put it this way you could take you could take what you're just describing, Joanne, and it, if you, you know, turned it sideways and laid, you know, spread it out on the table, it's a time series. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I Next next session, which is not this week, not not next week, but the week after. Well, let's do the the um, definitions work if y'all are available. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's why awesome. it's top of mind. I can just push push topics that we keep pushing off. I'll keep pushing off. They always go to the right, <laughs> which is fine. I, I, I would love to go while this is relatively fresh, um, deeper in. Powerful conversation, building on the data context conversation we had, and then setting up the stage for many conversations in the future where we go and define metadata better for more broad use. This has the potential to really impact how we consume data, and also how we generate and share it. Really deep thinking and, and something that we will be exploring quite a bit over the next several months at the Cloud 2030. If you enjoy this conversation, please make time on your Thursday morning and join us at the, at the 2030.cloud 
Uh, you can find how to join the conversation. Come in. We want to hear your questions and thoughts about these important topics. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.